really, really, really happy because for me, that was the moment I said, okay, I'm gonna, I made it. You know, I got my foot in the door of a massive institution. Welcome to or welcome back to Fashion Career Stories. My name is Lucas Silva Edwards. I'm a career strategist and executive coach with more than 10 years of experience in the fashion and luxury industry here in Paris, France. My role is to help you design a successful life and career in one of the most glamorous industries on the planet, but also one of the most competitive. For that reason, I have interviewed fashion professionals at different stages of their career in order to decode their best practices, tactics and strategies. My hope for you is that you will find in this conversation some inspiration and insights that will help you build your professional journey in the world of fashion and luxury. In this episode, I will receive Isabella Carassa. Isabella and I met a few years ago while working together at Le Bon Marché Rive Gauche, one of the most iconic department stores in the world. At that time, I was the menswear fashion editor and she was a junior buyer. From day one, what stood out from her was her sheer curiosity and passion to learn everything about the fashion industry. This is why I was not surprised when she told me she was doing a PhD while working at Le Bon Marché. However, the reason I wanted to have Isabella in this first season is because in my eyes, her journey is the perfect illustration that there is no one unique path to rise to your professional objective. Isabella comes from Brazil, didn't have any previous contact, nor study in a business school, and still she managed to land one of the most coveted jobs in the industry, woman buyer in a Parisian department store. All along this episode, you will discover how to think like a buyer, what are the key elements you need to focus on. You will also learn how to use your passion and curiosity to fuel your career strategy while leveraging your skills at every step of your journey. Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Isabella Carassa. Quick disclaimer, I have some technical problems during the recording, so you might hear some echoing uh, at the moment when I, I speak. So please don't let that disturb you from this amazing conversation with Isabella. Uh, I guess I'm still learning uh, and it's still part of the the process of become a, a podcaster so my apologies again and, uh, and enjoy this conversation with Isabella Carasa. Hi Isabella how are you? Hi Lucas I'm really happy to be here I hope you're well too. Yeah, I'm good. I'm so happy to, to have you uh, in this podcast. Uh, I was I really wanted to have you here because we have known each other for, for quite a while, but I've always been really impressed by your, your journey and by your optimism. It's something that always strikes me uh, in, in, in your profile because you come from Brazil, you work in France, you have done. You have worked in, in retail and in, as a junior buyer. Now you are a buyer at Galerie Lafayette, and we'll come back to to that. But you also study on the side. I think you're doing your, your PhD at the at the IFM. So I was like, wow, full profile. So I really wanted to have you in the in, in this podcast and and talk about all of, all of that. 
Before we, we start and talk about your, your professional journey, uh, I wanted to know where this passion for fashion or luxury come, come from? Um, so, uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me here. I'm really happy to be here with you. It's really that we've done each other for a while and it's always been a pleasure to exchange with you. Um, so, I think I've always loved fashion. My mom tells me that before I was born, I already had 20 pairs of shoes. So I think it comes from there. But as a child, I, I was always drawing clothes. I was always drawn towards clothes. I always liked buying clothes, dressing up. And then growing up, I, I, well, I'm 31. So I'm a child. When I was growing up, there was Galliano Adjur, there was McQueen. So fashion back then was very theatrical, I would say. So it was really, really impressive to just like open a magazine and see all those clothes. And I was really drawn to that. I was really drawn to this kind of clothing. And it just, as I grew up, it just kept, I started, um, then internet came along. So I started Googling some things. I come from a family that travels a lot. So every time I traveled abroad, I would buy a few fashion magazines to see what was happening and as a teenager I was really really in love with this world because for me it was very creative and ever-changing and I think it's important uh, and this ever-changing thing was very important because from one season it was I don't know flowers the other season we're talking about the sea the other season talking I don't know about the universe so as I'm someone who's a bit hyperactive, I and it, it, it was just very, very inspiring. And that's how I ended up in France. Yeah, that's that, that's great. So it's really like your travels and the magazine and the fact that that ever changing industry that kind of caught your attention. And um, yeah, and also, I mean, I'm going to say that and Fashion, so for someone who's my age, uh, fashion was very pop culture growing up in a way that I don't think it is today. It's a bit different. It's changed a bit. But we had series like Sex and the City where it was very fashion-centric. Uh, there was also this English series from the early 90s that I, that I watched when I was like 12, 13, which was Abfab, that yeah. abso absolutely fabulous. Oh, okay, okay that poked fun at the fashion world and uh, there was also project runway that was really really big so fashion was very centric in like was a very it was a very central part of entertainment and so like when i was in new york like i want to see the, the places where carrie went to so it, it was really part of pop culture and as i'm someone who's very curious for me it was really easy to be drawn to that as well yeah, I totally relate with uh, Sex and the City. Mm -hmm. I think I was uh, probably like 19 or something like that. I was already in college. And one of our teachers told us, uh, yeah, you need to watch shows in English to pr learn about your, you know, to learn English. And she, she gave DVDs to people who wanted to have, and one of them was Sex and the City. So I discovered Sex and the, C the City and because it was not on the, on TV when I, when I was young uh, younger, and it's true for me. It was like wow, all those dresses, the shoes, 
Uh, I remember like the, the shoe specifically for Carrie was something quite unique, the Manolo Blahnik and, uh, and the heels. And I think that's why, like in my, at least in my journey, uh, sprung my uh, interest for high heels. And when I did my uh, thesis at the IFM, it was about the attractivity of high heels. It's really cool. And I think that's, yeah, that's where it, 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 it comes from. And when I was at Lanvin, as a product manager, I had the opportunity to work with on uh, women's shoes. And there is a bunch of high heels and, and I remember all my uh, friends uh, at, at that time. And, uh, and they were like, okay, can I have one of the shoes? I did private sales. So I remember all of that come from uh, the sex and the city. So I totally relate with what you said, the pop culture and inspired like a, a vision of what is fashion. And, and after that, so when did you decide uh, that fashion was uh, something like you wanted to pursue? So you had that interest, but how did you choose your, your, your studies? Uh, were they related to that right away or did you study something more general or different? Um, well, I've come a really long way. So, um, as you said, I'm actually from Brazil. And it's interesting because when I realized uh, around the time I was 16, 17 that I really liked fashion, I was in some sort of crossroads because it's not an industry in Brazil. So it was either you go to a fashion school to become a fashion designer or you work with something else entirely. There's nothing like the IFM. There's not this approach of fashion as a business. And I knew that I, I didn't want to become a fashion designer. I, I didn't think I had talent for that. I drew a bit, but I knew that it wasn't really my thing. And I was thinking, when I run out of creativity, what am I going to do with my career? Because for me, it was this very, it's very creative. You have to be creating things all the time. And it was just, just wasn't me. So I, I studied political science in Brazil and it was very funny because when I was, was around 20 I, I was thinking maybe I could do a fashion also study fashion on the side because at my city they had this small fashion school so well I could maybe do both and then later on in my life when I'm in my 40s open my own brand create my own brand and I was like but do I want to create my own brand it was very uh, at the time, it was very, for me, working in fashion meant designing or creating things. And I wasn't really comfortable with that. And I thought that to work in fashion, you could only do that. So I finished my studies in political science. I, I did, so I did my exchange, my Erasmus in Italy, in Tuscany. And there's a massive, so it was really great because I love traveling and it allowed me to travel all around Europe. And I saw so many museums, so many fashion museums. I, I was living next to Florence, where we have the Gucci Museum. Uh, back, back then, it was because it's become a thing called Gucci Garden today. But back then, Gucci was very, it was very heritage brand still. So there was the whole history of Gucci. There was the Ferragamo Museum. So I could see the shoes, all the shoes he created. Also, of, um, the Tuscany is a tanning region in Italy, so you have all those tanneries we could see. So it was very, I could see uh, a bit of a, a fashion city in Italy, but still, once again, a very 
um, fashion curation uh, part of Italy. Then I started meeting people who worked in the creative industries and I was like, what is the creative industry? Because it's something that just didn't exist in Brazil. I didn't know yeah. you could work with fashion. I didn't really know you could work with museums. I didn't really know that things that I was really passionate about, I could make a living out of them. So for me, it was when it was a big like, eye-opening moment, meeting these people who worked in fashion, in film, in museums. And I said, okay, well, if I go to Europe, I can actually work with that. So I, I went back to Brazil. I finished my studies in political science and I took a plane off to France. And I landed here eight years ago. And I was very, very lost. So <laughs> I, I did my master's in cultural history. So still nothing, a lot to do with fashion, but not with fashion business. And I did my master's thesis about the influence of the 18th century in contemporary fashion uh, with a case study of Vivian Westwood, who back then was my favorite designer. I've always really liked English fashion. And also Christian Lacroix, mm -hmm. because I was in France and I had to learn about French fashion and study French fashion. And it's true that I, I'm very Anglo in my teenage culture. I was very Anglo up to maybe five years ago. And so I didn't really know much about French fashion. I mean, I knew about Dior, of course. I knew about Chanel. I knew about Jean-Paul Gaultier. But that was it. it wasn't really, I didn't really follow Paris Fashion Week because my heart always beat faster with the UK. So I learned all about that. And when I was studying, I, I was very, I learned a lot by myself. So I would get books and books and books about fashion history, the fashion system, about sociology of fashion. And one of those books about the fashion system, I think was about by sociologists. And he talked about all the kinds of jobs you could have in fashion and how the fashion system is. And I read about buying. And I was like, this looks interesting because um, I can be in touch with all the collections, which is the creative part, but I don't have to design. And once again, the person who grew up watching Sex and the City and Absolutely Fabulous, back then, buyers were invited to fashion shows. And I really wanted to go to a fashion show. <laughs> And I was like, this is a dream job because I can be in touch with the collections. I can see what's happening every season and go to fashion shows. And go to fashion shows. Be fashion before, before we continue on, on that, there is a few things I, I would like to, to kind of uh, double click a little bit. So you, you, you study so the, the, in, in Brazil, then you did your exchange in, uh, in Italy. So that's, that's why you understand a little bit more like, let's say, the European side of fashion in the creative industries, uh, as, you, as you said. Um, why, why did you decide to study in France at that moment? And, and why, uh, how did you decide that master was the one appropriate for, for you? What was the thought process around that? So um, I, I was actually between France and the UK okay. um, because, well, first, first thing that came to my mind was, well, Paris is the capital fashion of the world, fashion capital of the world. So in terms of 
afterwards for jo finding a job it's going to be easier mm. okay and i had also lived a bit in italy i love italy uh but i couldn't it's not a country i could live in i think that is the trauma from my family having left there so because i i come from an italian family and i was like it's too close to family i need something different okay um and i like i really thrive like in this cosmopolitan environments so that's why i really like london that's why i really like new york Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, Paris is quite good because it's, uh, it's cosmopolitan, it's smaller mm -hmm. than London, and it's the fashion capital of the world. All the big houses are here, so probably job-wise would be easier. And when I picked also the cultural studies, it was... I, I had this, this thing, okay, I've got plan A, and but I need a plan B, and I need a plan C, because I'm... Um, I'm making a big move. I'm 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 giving up. I mean, it was. I I have to say this. I'm very privileged because I cho I chose. I had the luxury of choosing to leave home because I had a dream, and I know that many people who leave home they don't have this choice. So I was like, I'm giving up on a lot. I'm giving up on my family, my friends, my comfort zone. Mm. I need to have a. So my, my dream is working in fashion, but if that doesn't work, if I don't manage to get in, what could I do that would be worth, what would make it worth to leave? Okay. And as I said, I love museums. And I said, well, if fashion doesn't work out, I can work as a museum curator, maybe at the Galliera, which is the fashion history oh, museum. The fashion history, okay. Or the Art Decorative, which is basically this applied arts museum. So... When I picked this master's, and also I think it's very important to say that France is a very business school country, and it's something that unless you grew up with French culture, you don't really realize. I, I didn't know that. I was very Anglo, and in the US, in the UK, um, you have business schools, but if you go to business school, you, it's because you're going to become like CEO of some really, really big company. People working on regular corporate jobs, especially in the creative industries, they don't really come, they don't really have to come from this business background. Mm. And so I thought, I thought France was a bit like those countries. I realized later on that, no, we're going to come back okay. to that later on. Yeah. But I thought, okay, that's good enough because, I mean, it's a master's, it's in history, it's in fashion. It shows that I know a lot about fashion. I'm doing that and learn a lot about fashion. So it was a, bit like that my reasoning well I'm gonna to go to university so I went to university I didn't go to business school um, I went to the Versailles University uh, it wasn't in Paris but I chose I was picked in some in some unis in France that especially in Paris I wanted to come to Paris I didn't want to come to France that's important as well so I've applied to many universities in Paris I was chosen I was picked by uh, quite a few and my idea of picking my masters was always to say, okay, if it doesn't work out, what's plan B? Which ma and which masters will open the door for the plan B? Mm -hmm. So that's when I picked the cultural history one. And I also always had this bit of academic side. And I said, so plan C, if fashion doesn't work, if museum doesn't work, I can do a PhD. And yeah. end up as a faculty staff, end up doing research because it's something I really like. So it was a bit how, how reasoned. Okay. okay. So really interesting just to 
I mean, your dream was to work in fashion, but in a way you didn't pursue a master in fashion or fashion business. Was fashion business part of your, your, your thought process at that moment or not, or not really? Like you really said, okay, let's go to for plan B and I will figure out the way to go into fashion. Um, I, I didn't know that you could learn about fashion business. It was something okay. that it was really being a foreigner. I think that it's, it's a bit different because okay. more, I, I went to see, so, uh, despite being a foreigner, I've been learning French for, since I was 13 or 14. So I, I, I used to go to the Alliance Francaise and I think those foreigners know what I'm talking about. And so there was a lot about French culture. So we had those job, student fairs and job fairs, uh, schooling fairs, student fairs. And they talked a lot about French universities. Mm. But they didn't talk about uh, business schools or even fashion business schools. Yeah. It was very specific. And when I was Googling, I, I didn't know. I learned about IFM when I was in France. And okay. Yeah. So I, I hadn't heard of it. And... It was, it's not something when you go to the Alliance Française and you've got Campus France who comes to you, they say, especially not almost 10 years ago, I think it's changed a bit yeah. now. Yeah. They would say, okay, well, there's the IFM, which is the best fashion business school in the world. Like the, I, I didn't know when, when Googling, I couldn't really find it. So I, it was really universal. I was very, and in Brazil, we're very university. Mm. So I, I only had universities in mind. And then here, in my first year, I, I realized that there was the IFM, the ESMOD, the, um, which are the oldest fashion schools. And I said, well, after I finish my master's, I'm going to apply for another master's so <laughs> I can have the fashion school master's then. Okay. But it's something that only came when I was in France. I didn't know that. And you discovered it here. How oh. France works. Okay. Sure. Now that's oh, that, that's super interesting. And what would you say? What what have you let's say? What are the insider learnings that you got from that master? Because it's it sounds really broad, working in museums. So I'm I'm curious. What what would you say are the main insights that you get from that masters? So what was what was really really interesting is that uh, I have it gave me this very broad understanding of society in general, which is very important. And I think uh, we have to see fashion as something that's part of our, what we call our material culture. So fashion is something that we create based uh, on some sort of, um, I would say, side guess. I'm trying to, I'm trying to use easy words. I'm going to leave the academic side and go to the practical <laughs> side. So, I mean, uh, we live in a society. And our society is shaped by how we feel about our fears, our aspirations, about what's going on in the world. So, and it's going to have an impact on what we create. We cannot just say, okay, fashion is a business and people are creating, designers are designing in the ivory tower in the room and we are producing, following, I don't know, part of a group and following what the stakeholders are saying and what um and and what i know the ceo says no um fashion is part of broader society and it's part of a system and i think that coming from uh the social sciences coming from political science i understand that in a way in a very deep way and it always allowed me to have this broader view of fashion 
and understanding and approaching i think i approach collections i approach every every time i say something related to fashion i have this very sociological eye to it and it's something that i find is very interesting because it helps me to connect close and connect to, to the whole business in a different way that i wouldn't have if i came from this strict um business training i think Okay, now it's, it's, it's super interesting what you said that fashion is part of a broader system and sometimes we forgot because the, you know, the image and the glamour of that uh, industry. Uh, but I like the fact that you said that your perspective is fashion inside the system and then you have that uh, sociology, anthropology and other, you know, cultural point of, point of view that allow you to think about fashion and as you say, when you look at collections, uh, in another way, uh, that it's less, let's say, uh, just uh, image or consumption per se, mm -hmm. which is the, let's say, the first thing we, mm -hmm. we discover uh, when we are younger, and, and you put it in a, in perspective. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it is really interesting. That's, that, that, that's great. And um, so you were saying that you were between France and, and London. What, 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 what does it mean? How, where, where were you into between the, 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 the two? Um, so I think that today, and this is my very personal opinion, mm -hmm. that uh, Paris is the capital of fashion, but London is a bit of a beating heart. Okay. I, 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 uh, English designers, they, I, I, I love seeing London Fashion Week because they have an approach to clothing, they have an approach to fashion, which is really interesting. I think it's a country that's been really marked by multiple waves of counterculture mm -hmm. and since the 60s with the Beatles and swinging in London and the punk movement and the post-punk punk movement and I'm a big fan of music as well and I I love English music from well David Bowie is basically my hero so um, I it's it and I can see his influence on fashion up to this day so uh, I really 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 like English brands and I really like what they do my favorite, my historically my favorite designers, my big three, which were John Galliano, uh, Alexander McQueen, and Vivian Westwood, they're all English. So I wanted to be part of the uni that universe, but uh, there's a big problem when we don't come from a very rich family, which is London is ridiculously expensive to live in. Education in the UK in those past 10 years became uh, prohibitively expensive as well so for me there was no way to do that financially I could not mm -hmm. study in the UK uh, live in London and, and try my, my lot there as I could here in Paris because despite Paris being a very expensive city the cost of living has nothing to do with London it's just mm -hmm. so it was a bit I had to pick my second best but it well it turned out great uh, i'm really happy nowadays i'm really happy with my job i'm really happy with my friends i'm really i've become parisian so <laughs> I, I, i'm i'm really happy in france but in the beginning it was really, that was hard and i think it's something that we it, it's something we don't really realize but when we move countries especially when i i mean i up to this day my friends sometimes they make jokes I have, i've got a lot of french friends so they make some jokes about things from french pop culture I have no idea what they're talking about. 
because I didn't grow up with that. It wasn't exported. France exported the Nouvelle Vague. They exported philosophers. They exported a lot of very high things. They didn't export, I don't know, Jules or anything from Bande Organisée. So when I'm, my friends make jokes about that, I'm like, what are you talking about? So... <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it, it, it is hard. It, 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 it's hard to become French. It's easier to become English. Because it's, no, it's easier to become uh, Londonian than it is to become Parisian if okay. I have the money to, for it, which I don't have. Okay. So you were basically traveling over there while you were in, in France, or it was just like you had a passion for London and then that's where oh. your heart kind of was? Um, I, I had already been, so I had studied a bit in London uh, before. But mm -hmm. still doing political science. Spent a lot of time in the museum, spent a lot of time in the Victoria and Albert, but I was still doing political science and democracy and all these boring things. And, <laughs> and then ever since I moved to Paris, I think I've been to London at least once a year. Okay. Yeah. Not for work, for leisure. But mm -hmm. every time I go, and it's something that's also very important in my growing up and became really, really important today is that I've always loved department stores. For, for me, who I'm really curious and want to know everything about everything, go into a store where you can see the best from every single, what I imagine to be every single brand in the world. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible. So I, I remember the first time, so the first time I went to London, I was 15. Yeah. And I had, and I, I think it's a funny story, I need to tell the story. So as I said, I'm a big music fan. And when I was 13, I was a huge Guns N' Roses fan. I, I had this massive crush on 80s Axl Rose with his long ginger hair. And with some friends, I would spend the night during the summer holidays, like playing online and doing things online with friends from all around Brazil. And one of my friends, we, there was a thing in Brazil, there was a big in Brazil, and I think it was only in Brazil, which was called Photolog which is Instagram's great, 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 great grandfather. <laughs> okay. You could post one picture a day with a description and you had like 10 friends who could comment on it. Oh, yeah. and exactly. yeah, the, the grandfather, exactly it the same. Is, uh, like, it's Instagram for people who from the 90s. And one night I was like playing with, with friends. We just play like online games and things like that. And I, we, we exchanged Instagrams back then. Oh, sorry, photo logs back then, not Instagrams. <laughs> and I see that one of the girls I was playing with, I don't know what we were playing. It's, I, it's Hangman. We were playing Hangman. So basically you have to guess the word at like 3 a.m. during the summer day. And I go to this girl's photo log and I see she lives in London. And I was like, it's my dream to live in London. It's always been my dream. My mom says that it was always my dream. And she, I was like, oh, you live in London. And you're Brazilian. How come? And she was like, oh, my mom works for the Navy here, for the Brazilian Navy here. I was like, so funny because my dad works for the Brazilian Navy. And they knew each other. No. <laughs> I made a really good friend for Guns N' Roses. And it allowed me to, to make my dream of going to London true. So for my 15th birthday... And it's another big thing in Brazil. It's like, like in Mexico, they have the quinceañera. Yeah. And the U.S., they have the Super Sweet 16. Yeah. We have our version of the Super Sweet 16 when we're 15. Okay. But wearing a princess, princess ball gown and dancing the waltz wasn't really my thing. So I, was, I told my mom, look, I don't want to do that. But if you want to send me to London to my friend's house, I'm in. Yeah. 
Give me the budget for the party to go to. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like my mom, she was. A, I think she was a bit gutted. She wanted me wearing like a princess ball gown, like I did when I was a child and dressed up in Disney princesses gowns. <laughs> but she was like, "Yeah, of course." So she sent me to my friend's place when I was fifteen. I and I did everything I loved back then, which I still love nowadays, which is going to museums. So I went to the National Gallery, I went to the Victoria and Albert Museum, uh, which was amazing. Uh, I went to the Tate Modern, I went to all those museums, and of course I went to Harrods. Three times in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> the time to visit each floor in detail. Very detailed, throw a coin, the, the Diana, like fountain, everything. And it, it, it's a retail, it's been a retail for the past 15 years of my life. Every time I go to London, I go to at least one department store and I do it from basement to top floor. I see the brands, I see how they're presented, I see uh, if they have something else, if they got pop-ups, exhibitions, how things are, how the windows are, and it's very inspiring. And as I've been working in department stores for the past four years, so for the past four years, I also have this very... Um, how can I say, it's very critical eye to see, okay, mm -hmm. which brands they have that I don't have, uh, how do they present the brands that I have, uh, what's the difference, so I don't know, in a brand that's very widely distributed, what they have in my selection, what they have in my selection, what the colors, what, what's the difference, what's similar, so I, I think it's interesting because I go for the experience, but I also go with my kind of trend hunting eye to see if there's the new hot brand that I need to know about. And then also the benchmarking eye to see what they are doing, what am I doing, and where are, what's the difference and what the similarities between the both of us. Okay, yeah. super super interesting what you you saying that you you learn about like department stuff and not learn but enjoy department store at fifteen, and now almost fifteen years later now you you, you work at, as one as a as as a buyer so it's really like a, a journey. Um, what would you say like for somebody like. Uh, it's 15, 18 years old, I'd say, okay, my dream is to work in fashion, uh, maybe in a department store. What would you say, like, the, say the few advice to start having, like, a, that critical eye that you talk about? What would you, would be the type of advice you give them? Um, I think, and what's really interesting about fashion buying is that both business and creativity. So when you're a fashion buyer, you have to be both. So... Um, I think one interesting thing is that if you're thinking of becoming a buyer and you don't know where to start about, uh, learn already, you should start learning about the fashion market, so the positioning. I think it's very important to understand how, how the fashion market um, is organized in terms of price points, because then you'll be able to develop your creative eye from that, because you're going to learn how, how the brands, they're going to talk to each other. And you're gonna see. I think you're gonna see brands in a different way, because in so, so the fashion market we usually have. So if you, you know all the fast fashion, this is a different system. You've got the entry level brands, which are gonna be in a department store. They're gonna be the entry price points of the cheapest brands. And usually department stores, brands are clustered by t type of market. So. When you know that you've got the entry price, then you've got a more of a contemporary brands, then you've got the premium brands, then you've got the designer brands, and then you've got the luxury brands. Once you understand that, 
uh, department stores, they organize like that. You go see the brands by clusters. If you are Parisian or you live near, near Paris, come, we have four department stores in Paris. Come with this in mind and see from the, each cluster which brands they have. And then you, today internet is your best friend. Go online, go uh, not only to Vogue, because Vogue, I mean, is an institution and Vogue Runway is an institution, it's very important. But try also following uh, some uh, Instagram brands, uh, some fashion critics who are mostly on Instagram or have blogs. Because if you want to see the big luxury brands, yeah, go to Vogue because they invited you first row. If you want to know what emerging brands from all the price points that come, especially new designers, new contemporary designers, go see um, some upcoming fashion critics because then you're going to see brands that are not making a bus yet, but they're going to, they might make a bus tomorrow. And then you're going to have, uh, you're going to see, so you're going to see the creative side of the brand because it's always very cool to see, the, to see a show because you see the new things, the, how people are walking. But once you understand that they're part of this bigger system and when you know which brands, with which brands they're competing, and where they want to be, either in the department store or in a concept store, you're going to understand the business behind it. And then you're going to start thinking critically, saying, if I were a buyer, would I buy this brand? Where would I put it? With which brand? And as I said, that when I like to see different department stores to see how we compete, you'd always say, okay, if they were competing, how would I would buy the collection? If I only have a rack with 12 clothes, and they side to side, they have kind of the same price point and they, just, they are directed to kind of the same clientele. What I'm going to pick from brand A, what I'm going to pick from brand B, so my client buy from both. So I think it's, it's a very interesting exercise and it's something that I try to do when I'm, when I'm benchmarking during the holidays. Oh, great, great uh, uh, advice. I love the the way you think about it. It's all about like, think first about the system and the framework and where every brand and, uh, uh, like they are located in that uh, different system and what I love the, the cluster that you, you, you talk about. Um, I think it's a great, great advice. Um, I think what is really interesting about what you just said, it's also about the customer about how different departments all talk maybe to different mm -hmm. customers or how each cluster talk to different customers and how you can you try to create like the best assortment for your customer with the brand in uh, the different type of cluster and knowing that you may be in competition with the department, the other department store or, or, or even the retail because brands are the, 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 the retail. So it, it, it is really interesting. So that that's great. I, I like the... the the advice, and I think they're, they're really useful. <laughs> and something before, just we go to the, let's say, the buying part of it. It's something that always uh, strikes me. It's also the how many languages that you, you, you speak. And is that something that you, you say you started French early on? Is that something that come, that you decided to do? Or is that something your family or like uh, kind of uh, uh, push you to, to, to learn? Um, it's something that really came from me. It's <laughs> yeah, I I had this as as I was saying earlier on. My mom said I've always wanted to live in London, uh, probably because of the Spice Girls, <laughs> and then for Harry Potter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I I so I in Brazil, 
um, we are very um, Americanized. So from a very early language, a very early age, sorry, uh, we hear a lot of English. Music is very, is mostly, it used to be, now it's changed a bit, but when I was a child, it was mostly in English, especially with pop singers. So uh, the Spice Girls and then Britney Spears and then like Backstreet Boys and everything that was huge in Brazil. And it really bothered me not to understand what they were singing. Mm-hmm. So I've, I think I've always had the thing that I want to understand things. So I started English from a very young age. Uh, but first at school, then at an English speaking school, uh, an English la- language school, sorry. And then I, I don't know why, but I always wanted to learn French. And it was, it was very funny because I was the only person learning French in my school, like in my class. Okay. And I, I remember telling my mom from the age, my parents, is, they, they, they did learn, so both my parents, they speak French as well. Not, okay. They learned French, but it wasn't something that it was something that people just did back then. Yeah, have to learn English and French. You did okay. what you did. And I, I remember really wanting to learn French, and so I, I, I didn't really have plans to, to move to France, as I said many times. I wanted to move to London from a very early age, so it wasn't something that I approached as okay, it's something that I'm gonna use later on in my, my life. It was just because I wanted to learn the language. And I think there was also, I, it's very funny because I speak really bad Spanish, despite being Brazilian. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of learning Spanish, I decided to learn French. And I think there's also this image that France is a very sophisticated country and the French is a very sophisticated language. And I think we still had that in Brazil back then. So my parents were really excited with the fact that I wanted to learn this very sophisticated language. Um, and it came in handy because I, when I was a teenager, I really liked the Nouvelle Vague and like French cinema. So it was really interesting to not really understand what they were saying, but kind of understand what they were saying. And I really liked literature, so reading that later on. Um, then I, despite being from an Italian family, my dad doesn't speak Italian. And I, for me, it was a shame because it's, it is like not our ancestral language, but it, it for me it was important to learn that. So I started learning Italian, and at the same time, I'm a big fan of Italian cinema. So I was really happy to understand what they were saying. And it's easier when you are learning Italian to understand what people say in Italian films than in French. It was very funny because I was really always very frustrated with the fact that despite years of French, I still struggled to before moving to France to understand what people were saying. And then I had this crazy thing where I really wanted to learn German. I think because it was hard, it was perceived as a hard language. And, and also, I think people are not going to remember that, but some 10, 12 years ago, Germany was really, really big. And they were really, I think they also had a bit of a, this soft power culture and influence. Germany was becoming quite pop. Mm-hmm. So I did many years of German and I forgot most of it instead of too fast because of the hard language. But it allowed me to live a bit in Berlin as well. Mm-hmm. After living in Italy, I spent, uh, well, not very long, but two months in Berlin to improve my German. And I just fell in love with the city. And actually, I considered moving to Berlin before moving to France. Yeah. yeah. But 
I want to, as I said, I want to work in fa- with fashion. Um, fashion in Germany is a bit complicated. <laughs> Let's just say that. The, historically, there have been really good designers. There's also Jill Sander, who who's German. There is a bit of fashion, but there's Hugo Boss. I think besides Hugo Boss, there's not much of a fashion. And my Theresa nowadays, you don't really have much of a fashion business over there. Yeah. So practically a bit complicated. Then what else do I speak? <laughs> <laughs> and also a bit of Spanish because I had Spanish at school. It's similar to Portuguese. So I speak, uh, I also speak a language that exists in Latin America and nowhere else, which is the Portanol, which is the mix of Portuguese and Spanish. <laughs> and during the lockdown, I learned ancient Greek. <laughs> because it's really useful for the fashion industry. Uh, it is. I mean, it is. It, 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 it's, a, it's a very, I mean, it's the most useful language I know. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, I, I don't know, I had this crazy thing as a child as well, uh, that I think I, like, I read The Odyssey for Kids or something like that when I was 10, and I was obsessed, I was obsessed about Greece as a child. And I went to Athens uh, two years ago, and basically, a friend of mine he had to stop me from collapsing in the Acropolis. I, I, I'm a big fan of history, so I was a big fan of Athens. I needed to learn that language. And I'm someone who I think that either I do something wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly or I just don't do it at all. I think I have small obsessions. Yeah, it's, so. it, 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 it is a good way to put it. But always uh, listening to you, what really struck me is your the passion and the curiosity you have for what you love. So when you see you, love, you want to understand a country and a culture, and the first thing you do is learn the language. From there, like you're able to understand the nuances. And you see, you wanted to be in fashion. You understand the system of fashion, which is kind of the underlying language that, uh, you know, the grammar of the fashion industry. So it's like you always have to uh, kind of, you said, an academic point of view about understanding something and you just go deep in it. And, uh, and what is really unique is you have that curiosity, you just go for it, and then you find ways to mix and wave all those knowledge into your one big passion which is a, a, a fashion and uh, and as you said because fashion is part of a, a broader society everything connects and makes sense so it, it is quite unique way of doing things and it, it's a, I, I love it it's great thank you now let's uh, tell me a little bit about how you end up uh, working in the department mm-hmm. store because that was your passion so you, you study you learn the languages uh, you did your ma- your master so how did you finally end up in the in the fashion industry and especially in department store um so uh during my masters i was doing a few internships mm-hmm. and i so I, I did some research internships in the beginning, uh, one with uh, a fashion history uh, seminar, which still exists from the IHTP, which is, I, I'm going to, I haven't followed the courses in a while, but it's also how I, I got to know the IFM, because they, they had a, um, a conference about fashion during the First World War at the IFM. Okay. And I had just arrived in France. I had been in France for two months. 
And the conference was at the IFM and was co-organized by the IFM. That's how I got to know them. And so my first internship was and then with uh, Sophie from, from this, who, who today is a professor uh, of fashion at the American University of Paris. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing a bit of fashion research, more like fashion history. I said, well, this is cool, but I need to get some industry. Um, I need to get industry practice experience. So a friend, uh, and, and I was looking, I remember being at fashion jobs looking for internships. I was like, well, there's no one interested for fashion buyers, so how do I get to become one? And I was, I was a bit lost having a look at it. And then a friend of mine, uh, she, was, she told me, well, I have a friend who's interning at this fashion brand, and they're looking for someone at the sales department to do B2B sales. Would, be, would you be interested? I was like, yeah, of course. So I sent him my CV. And I had a five-minute interview. And when the guy saw how many languages I spoke, he hired me on the spot. Okay. Which, which is crazy. So basically something that I had been learning just because I liked learning came in really, really handy years later. Because it was so it was this budding, uh, very young fashion brand. I think it was the second buy, selling season or third selling season. And there was, so it was the sales department and I was assisting him with European accounts, but all across Europe. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of prospection. So picking up the phone, calling potential customers, uh, sending brand books, sending, trying to actually trying to get buyers interested in the fashion, in, in the brand. Okay. So, um, which is not uh, an easy job. And... Today, as a buyer, I thought it'd be nice to everyone who approaches me because it's basically you spend your day calling people, getting no's, getting ignored. You send them invitations to come to your showroom. They don't come. They, you know, you're trying to make your brand known by people who have the power of getting your brand inside somewhere. That's huge. And buyers actually have a lot of power, which it's, it, it's interesting because before I became a buyer, I, I was like, well, it's a very powerful job. And nowadays, I don't really approach it like that because I'm really busy with the daily tasks and the daily things and trying to get like a brand to send me assets on time, the last glamorous part of the job. But actually, buyers are really, really powerful uh, for uh, an emerging, especially emerging brands. Because if you get a buyer from a big website, from a big department store, or from a concept store that in terms of turnover is not that big but can set the conversation like the Dover Street Market or the Vue store in Berlin, you can make it or break your brand. So, um, and then there was a small brand and they needed someone to approach buyers by calling. So you have to be, I think you have to be really resilient as well when you're in sales. And it was really, and for them, it was, genius, it was incredible that they could hire someone who spoke pretty much most languages that spoke in, Euro- spoke in Europe. So I was doing that for six months, and it was really cool because it's very international. You've got buyers from all around the globe, and or you try to reach them. And I did that for six months. Then I was approached for another brand to do the same thing, uh, a small brand as well. So I, I did the same thing. For a different brand, that for this first brand, I was working in menswear, more of a contemporary positioning brand. 
Then I went to this women's wear a bit lifestyle, a bit of an entry price point brand, but I did accessories, which was really fun. And it was really cool because, uh, so another thing is that depending on the kind of product category you're working, you've got different fairs, you've got different ways of making your brand known. So uh, this brand, as she was working with accessories, uh, it also allowed me to go to the Première Classe, which is one of the biggest fairs in the world in terms for, for accessories brand accessories brands. So it was really cool because I was there on the stand trying to approach buyers from big, big department stores, big websites, but even buyers who have a small store in a French Riviera um, city, they have like 10 brands, they buy, I don't know, 10K a season, but it's important to be everywhere when you're a brand. So it was really interesting also for me to understand even better the market. So which brands were, the comp were competing with the brands that uh, I was working with. Um, what, especially in France, because um, France is also, so also I think I learned when I was uh, in the sales department is that different countries, they have different ways of selling things. So when you're working with Italy, it's not a department store country. You've mm -hmm. got one department store, which is Ladina Shente. They're like in maybe five or 10 big cities in Italy. So if you go to a big city, you're going to have a little shanty. But people in Italy, they live a lot in small towns that orbitate around big cities. So you've got uh, a lot of multi-brand stores that are in cities you've never heard of. And it's very important. And they are, so when you're working with, Italia, with Italy, when you're a brand, you've got many, many, many small accounts that are going to do very very high-end brands and and it's true sometimes we're in a small town in italy you've got a church a very old church the train station and a luxury store <laughs> so it's it, it's crazy so it's how distribution is in italy then you go to london like to the uk where it's a very department store and e-commerce country people buy about a lot online so you're gonna have a few UK accounts, but they're really big accounts. And then you've got France, which is a hybrid. So in France, we've got four big department stores, uh, and two of them are in chain, which are the Plantin and the Galerie Lafayette, Galerie Lafayette being the biggest one. And then you've got, especially um, outside Paris, in the south, in the southwest, you've got different regions. You've got some sort of concept stores and you've got many accounts in concept stores. So basically, usually when you're working in sales in France, you have to reach at least one of the big four. And then you have also to reach those stores, which are very important parts of those mid to small side sized cities. And so it's, it's really interesting because I learned a lot about the business as well. So about distribution, about the kind of brands and they're not buying the same brands and they're not buying and even the same brand, they're not buying the same way. Mm -hmm. So it was really interesting and I was on sales and then I was looking for my first job. And I remember I was, so my last internship was at a very big, especially women's wear brand, a French institutional brand. And I remember my last day I was seeing my director and he was like, so tell me about the six months and how was it internship? And I started crying, <laughs> saying, I'm going to get into the job market and I don't know if I'm going to get a job. Yeah. And he was like, I don't worry about you. And <laughs> I'm going to be fine. And a month later, I, I landed my first job. 
Okay. So, and I was working with e-commerce. Um, I was a six-month uh, assistant buying job. Uh, but it was different because it was basically an online outlet that did flash sales. And it's a very different, so it's yet another business model. Because basically what we did, we bought overstock from brands. And then we put that online at high discounts so it could be sold. And it was really interesting because I haven't worked with this kind of model before. I only worked with full price, wholesale, classic distribution. So I could see how an online flash sales outlet works. I learned a lot about business as well because they were very, okay, what's the turnover I can make this brand? What's the margin I'm making with this brand? What kind of price can I negotiate with the brands to have this margin? Okay, um, we need to set a price because they're flexible to set their own buying and selling prices. So, okay, we have competition because we're not the only online sales outlet in the world. So what competition is doing? What kind of prices we're going to put? So it was really interesting. I learned a lot about Excel as well. So it's, and it's very important when you're buying, you have to be familiar with Excel. And it was the best, I think the best training I could ever had. And I did that for six months. But I realized that it was really interesting, but what I loved wasn't there, which was the product. Mm. I, what I really liked about fashion were the shows, the novelty, the products, and I didn't really have that. Because we were buying stocks. Even if I were working for an e-com platform, I would be close with the product because I'd be going to showrooms and buying the collections. I, with this job, I was completely disconnected from that. So I saw an opportunity of joining a, a department store uh, at where we met, the Romache, almost four years ago. Uh, I'd applied and I was picked. And I was really, really, really happy because for me, that was the moment I said, okay, I'm going to, I made it. You know, I got my foot in the door of a massive institution uh, with, it wasn't a dream job yet, but I'm really close to the dream job. That's it. Yeah, and, um, and that's the moment I said, okay, that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. I, I mean, I mean, yeah. you, you tell us a, a little bit about the, 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 the bon marché. You talked about Excel and the learning about the business, the wholesale, and you went into detail on that. And those are, are great like uh, advice and give a, an awesome overview about the dis distribution. Again, for somebody who's who, who's starting, um, what would you say are like kind of the the skills they need to kind of go into those fashion more business uh, areas. So you talked about Excel. What what else that have you learned and think that uh, could be useful to to have in mind when you go into those jobs? Um, so uh, I think it's important that we have both hard and soft skills. So <laughs> in terms of hard skills, you have to learn. know it's it it's very. I would say it's very basic. You're not going to know the amount of Excel or understand margins and rentability as someone who's in finance, for instance. Mm -hmm. But you have to understand that uh, uh, ultimately, when you're buying, you get to make money. You have to understand that. So we love the fashion. We, 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 we love the product, but we're there to make money and to turn on a profit. I think it's very important to have that in mind. So you have to learn how to read your brand. Uh, what's the turnover? 
I'm gonna make with my brand at a shop how much because that's gonna determine how much I'm gonna buy right my OTB so how much do I have to buy and then you have to learn it's it's quite basic but okay from that I'm buying at this price I'm selling at this price it means that technically what's the margin so what's the profit it's gonna make me then you have to understand a bit of uh, statistics but very basic so to make my turnover what's the product that's making most of it because that's a good product what's the product that's not making not living up to its potential uh, then you're gonna see your brand so I was supposed to have I don't know a 55% margin and I have a brand that's only giving me 20% why is it because it's a pricing problem is it because I'm only selling a discount so when you understand the mass of the business which once again very basic it's not rocket science you understand how your brand is living and it's very important for you to make decisions because it's it's sad but sometimes we love brands because we love the style but when you see the figures, they're just not there. And unfortunately, uh, it, it's the hard part of the business. You're saying, okay, well, this brand is supposed to make me money. It's not making me money. So unfortunately, it's not here. Maybe it's for a different store, but not for my store. So I think this is the hard skills part. So understanding the mass, because you understand how your brand is performing. And when you understand how your brand is performing, you understand uh, how to make it perform even better. And then the soft skills, when you're in buying, you're in touch with so many people, from the salespeople to the back office, from people internally. I mean, I've been in the galleries for almost two months now. I still don't know half of the people who I'm, I'm talking to because it's so big. So you have to have, you have to like to be in touch with people. If you're someone who's an introvert, if someone who would rather be like in your room, behind the computer not talking to people this is not a job for you because there's a lot i mean i'm, I'm, a, I'm a very people person so it's, it's really cool but there's a lot of small talk there's a lot also even sometimes when you have a bad message a tough message you, you go like to pass you if you've got a bit of people skills it's easier and it's easier to collaborate so i you have to have like people skills i think the soft part of the job soft skills is having people skills um being passionate about the product as well so really being interested in new trends and being interested in that and so and and serious because it can become tiring when you've got um a portfolio of 40 brands it means that you're going to see at least every six months at least 40 showrooms so if you don't like seeing the product, if you don't like seeing your stats, and if you don't like dealing with people when it's good and especially when it's bad, this is not the job for you. It's, I, I think it, it's important to know that the people part is very important. When things run smoothly, it's great. When things don't run smoothly, and I have a few brands in my portfolio that are not going smoothly, it's tough. It's tough. And you have to have the flexibility. You have to... You have to know how to talk to people because it's important to it, it, it's complicated and well we're humans after all and sometimes if you don't know how to address these things there's a person behind it and it, it might get complicated yeah no. it, it, it is interesting i like that you focus a lot on the soft skills uh yeah you have the hard skills but the soft skills at the end we work with in a passionate uh, 
uh, fashion industry, let's say, and people are passionate with emotions and we like to talk and exchange. And it's always like, uh, you know, what's beautiful in this industry is that it's the people that make the industry uh, as well, even though the rhythm is super fast, it's sometimes it's tiring. And, uh, we are impatient because there are so many things at the same time. But at the end of the day, what makes it really beautiful is the people. That's why during COVID it was so hard not seeing people any, yeah. any anymore, not seeing the product. And like, uh, after it was like one of the main things was to let's see again the the, you know, the buyers, let's see again the the, the brands and the, the designers. So I, I, I totally uh, understand that, and I think it's a, it's a really good point. And um, well, can you explain a little bit what it's uh, the role of a, a buyer and, uh, and how you uh, in, in the position you are now today? How, how does it work in the day-to-day? So um, buying, it, it, it's interesting because like we do so much things. So okay, back to the basics. Uh, we are responsible for what you see in a store and responsible for the rentability of what you see in store. So uh, we have to be trend aware. We need to know what's going on. Of course, it's not me who's going to do the trend hunting. We've got the people uh, whose job is to do that and they're going to brief that. But we have to be you know, a bit sensitive to that and see what's happening, see what, what brands are doing. Then we go to, we always in touch with salespeople. We, that's on that, that's fashion week. During fashion week, we're not going to go to the shows. Unfortunately, the system's changed. So we're not going to go to the shows unless it's a, it's a small brand or usually it's my boss that goes to the shows, not me, unfortunately. Uh, but we're going to go to the showrooms and we're going to see the collections. So when we go, uh, I go, I, before each appointment, I have a look of how my brand's performing for the current season and for the past season because we always buy a year before. So now I'm buying winter 23, I'm seeing how my brand performed in winter 22. So I need to know uh, how many products I buy, what products I'm buying, what products from a brand are performing well, which products are not performing well. So you help me to make a selection. And sometimes it's really hard. Yesterday I was with the brand and I was like, okay, well, we bought way too much in terms of products last year. Let's rationalize it. And then I see some things which are amazing and that I love. And I was like, yeah, but my client doesn't love this. So I cannot buy this. So it, it, it's hard. It's hard. Because we have to remember we're not buying for ourselves. When I was in men's wear, it was easier because I'm not a man. Now I'm working in women's wear. And I'm working with a price point that I could buy. I'm not working with luxury brands. So it's very hard and you have to refrain yourself from not buying for yourself. You have to say, I saw this thing which was amazing. I was like, well, but the store, especially now I work with a department store that's present everywhere in France. And I buy for everywhere. So when I see my brand, I'm like, well, I love this in Paris. But will my client who lives in the south of France wear this? No, she wants, so I cannot buy this. So it's, in, in the showroom, there's a bit of, you're always like dealing with yourself saying, okay, this is what performs well, so I need to buy this. This could be fun to add, add because we need some fun pieces to have the client come to the brand. But mostly, as I said, we're there to make money, so I need to see what performs well. And then once I bought everything, I, I follow my brand um, throughout the season. 
So marketing has become really important. So we have many marketing activations. I'm always in touch trying to have brands to join us at something either a pop up or we've got um we've got some something that no Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day. So we've got these moments in store that we're gonna do something special. I wanna bring a brand there because it's cool for the brand, it's cool for us, it's, it's beneficial for both of us to have the brand there. Then you've got like some daily business, uh, once again, Excel and stats to see how the brand's performing, what we can adjust. Because in the end, we're all there to make money. And I think it's important to say that because uh, as we're saying, because it's a passion industry, we do that for passion, but we have the power that the sort of democracy that's behind the brand, especially when you're buying it, it's money. We need to make money. And I think we have to have, uh, and sorry, it, it's horrible, it's very capitalistic to say, mm-hmm. but that's, once again, the society. And uh, as Adam Smith would say, it's not out of the, um, how out of the, how would say, that basically when we have bread, it's not because the baker, he's making bread because he loves us. No, he's making bread because he needs to sell his bread. So in the end, it's that. But it's, it's a fun way to do that. And it's better than being in the stock market or being, just behind the figures, I don't know when you when you're saying I don't know in your financing or you see the figures. I couldn't do that, but knowing that to get to the figures, I'm going through really cool clothes and getting in touch with cool people and doing really fun things such as pop-ups or marketing pushes. It's part of my job and it's really interesting and it's my day-to-day life. That's why it's a, it's it's. A, my, my, my question is like, how do you balance, you know, that, that drive, you have that curiosity, passion for history and you say the system and now you have the job that it's more like business, capitalistic and, uh, you know, turnover and margin. How are you able like to uh, balance all of that? Um, I, I, what was very interesting and about how fashion has evolved l- lately is that storytelling has become really important. So um, every time I approach a brand, I approach something, uh, I always ask myself, what's the story we're telling here? And also uh, buying, especially when it's for a physical uh, um, medium, when it's like a department store, uh, we are in touch with a lot of people from the floor, people, salespeople. So uh, it's interesting as well because I am a people person, so I'm always in touch with someone. There's always something physical I can touch, so I think it also fits my creative part. Even if my history part, my 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 sociology part is not very fed by my day to day job, my people part it is, and also brands uh, nowadays. I mean. Um, climate change is a, is an urgency it, it, it's, it's something that you know just behind the backs and brands are more and more aware of that so we actually have really interesting conversations about society with brands because uh the way we consume is changing the things we worry about is changing and this conversation is part also of my daily business of my daily work because especially for the departments i'm working right now they're really 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 um uh, how can I say for them it's very important inclusivity, size inclusivity, um, the f- fashion system changing, the fashion system making it greener. It's very important. So, in the end, those are society matters, society questions, and 
we're not, I'm not approaching that with this very academic side saying, oh, we're discussing that because this philosopher said this, this and that, but it's a practical part of a lot of what we learn theoretically. So in the end, it's really interesting because, well, behind us, we're making money, but we are, we're trying to change things as well. And yeah. it's very inspiring that it's part, and it's also part of a bit of our corporate brand that we're trying to, to change things and we're a big actor and trying to do that. So then it's really interesting because even if it's not feeding my pure historically thought, and then yes, because I work for a very historic department store that's been around for 150 years. So I'm part of history now. It's true. I, I yeah. love that. That's what, exactly what you said about like, you, you, you study it and now you are living it. You are part of it. You are making history yourself and you are part of that dialogue in society. So it's like now you are in action in it. So it, it, it makes sense. And um, I know we, we're going to arrive uh, more or less at the, at the end of our, our time. Uh, last question would be like, how did the, the PhD encompass in all of that? So yeah, I've been doing my PhD at the same time. I know. Uh, and so, um, as I said, I always thought of academic would be like the plan C. Now I can I, I know that I can actually work my plan A and plan C at the same time once I'm done with that. <laughs> so uh, it's really interesting because I I study storytelling from an academic point of view. Uh, my thesis is about a very specific storytelling part, which is about the heritage of brands. Mm -hmm. So it feeds my history part, my my history blog part, and so and how brands they developed a storytelling for customers based on the history on the heritage, and it's really interesting because even if most of the brands I work with, they're not really heritage brands because they're quite new. Mm -hmm. They always have some sort of storytelling, and that's what makes the brand interesting in the end. Because, I don't know, if you want to buy jeans, how many denim brands do you have? But brands with a message, brands with a history, like with a story, and if, with a history as well. If you go with brands like Levi's or Lee, we don't really have that many in the market. And usually those that are telling a story, they're more interesting, even for me as a buyer, because I believe a bit more in them and for customers because in then consumption when we're buying something uh, we also want to this it's not only how can I say so when we're buying clothes it's not like buying eggs or buying water or buying things that we need to leave we go beyond that we can't we go beyond the materialistic part of the purely pure survival but we get into the role on the realm of self-expression as well. And I think it's very important for, for the customers to, and people even, even unconsciously we do that. When buying clothes, we're expressing a bit of ourselves. Either because this brand, it has the same values as I, as I do, or this brand corresponds to my aspirations, or this brand makes me belong to a certain group. So when we buy into that very unconsciously, and brands is something I study in my PhD as well, and brands with a story, they're going to feed that. Like for instance, I'm, I'm someone who's got a growing, had a growing interest in climate change and things like that. And it's become very important when I'm buying uh, a product, it's to see what is this brand doing 
to either change the system or do something better and how is it being uh towed so um this part of my page is really interesting because i do have this critical approach about the stories but at the same time i'm very sensitive to the stories of brands and i think i'm a bit more sensitive than someone who wouldn't have been studying this this kind of subject yeah makes sense so it I love that you wrapped up that everything come back to the to the story or the story or brand it's linked to the society and or now one of the stories it's about climate change and sustainability and how does the story also make up the customer maybe consume in a different way because there is a status there is a meaning there is a a story behind it so how you as a buyer uh, need to filter and create that for the for the customer so again everything makes sense your passion is linking and you wave that into it isabella thank you a lot for for your time i know you 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 have a a day ahead of you uh thank you for a lot for for your time if you have any what would be last recommendation for the people listening to us anything that you would add what, what would it be to conclude um, stay curious. I think it's the most important thing. Stay passionate. Because, well, we talked about everything that was really successful in my career, but I've had some downturns. And Lucas, you were there, <laughs> some of them. And if you, if you don't stay passionate, you might give up. And I think always look into the big, bigger picture. It's something that, as an advice I give to everyone, either in fashion or outside it look into the bigger picture so sometimes and it, it's fashion is an industry where you have to deal a lot with frustration either because you're an emerging designer and you have no bias coming to your brand either because you're looking for an internship and you've been through a lot of interviews and you didn't get a job or you get into the job market and it's taking a bit longer than you expected there's a lot of frustration and so stay curious, stay passionate because it help you and look into the bigger picture because it's going to help you navigate through the tough times. It's an excellent one. <laughs> Frustration, but stay curious and passionate and, mm-hmm. uh, and keep moving. Mm-hmm. A, exactly. Keep swimming. I, yeah, I love it. Thank you again for your time, Isabella. I hope to, to, you so to see your, 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 your career evolve and maybe have a, a session to, to together later on. I, Great pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Is she not incredible? I don't know about you, but I love how Isabella's drive to learn and live her fashion dream is so palpable. So what can we keep from this deep dive in Isabella's journey? One, in order to think like a buyer, make sure to do your homework early on in your career. Go visit stores, analyze the offer, the brand mix, and the story they are trying to tell you get acquainted with the system. Two, fashion is an industry of passionate professionals, but it's first and foremost a business. So always remember to balance what you personally love with the financial objective or your job. Three, your professional trajectory might not be a straight line. Doesn't mean that you are not going in the right direction. Remember, there is not one perfect way to get to your dream job. If you're still hearing this, thank you so much for tuning in. I know how much your time is valuable. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. This is the most efficient way to help us grow and entice people to listen to the show. 
If you have any question or want to know more about the podcast, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn at Lucas Silva Edwards. In the next episode, I will receive Chiara Teofil. We will talk about her beginning of her journey so far and how focusing on gender studies can help you land a position in one of the top five French luxury brands in the planet and at a job I never heard before. Last but not least, please feel free to drop in the comment section any advice, improvement points, or even topics you wish to see covered in this podcast. Until next time, I wish you a wonderful day.